You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. Is it allergies or COVID? Is it sleeping with my mouth open too long or COVID? Is it just a bit of dust in the room or have I got COVID? For the past couple of years, we've been monitoring our health in a way in which we've never had to do before. Every cough, sneeze or tickle has the ability to send us into a spiral of fear and dread. And God forbid you do any of those things in a public place and have the wrath of passers-by judge you and your obviously COVID-riddled body. But if you're someone who keeps having COVID symptoms but continually tests negative to the virus, could we actually be manifesting those symptoms? Today, we're going to look at whether being absorbed in COVID for the past few years has left us paranoid about the state of our health. How many times have you said, throughout the course of this global coronavirus pandemic, I've probably already had it, or I've had a bit of a sore throat, I've probably got COVID? You're not alone. There are many people who think they've either had it and been asymptomatic or who've had just a moment of a slight scratchy throat that never went anywhere so didn't get tested. Perhaps you felt a little off when PCR testing queues were seven hours long and rat kits were as rare as hen's teeth, so didn't find out for sure. When Spanish flu was sweeping across the globe after World War I, not every human on the planet got it. In actuality, it was around 500 million of the world's then total 1.9 billion population, so around a third of all people. The difference for many in 2022, though, is that the accuracy of the number of COVID cases in the community seems to be declining. With PCR tests now only required for some cases, many choosing rapid antigen tests which are proven to not be as accurate, the ever-changing rules around self-isolation and some people now choosing to ignore symptoms having had enough of COVID altogether and no longer wanting to deal with it in any way, shape or form, we really don't have a handle on just how many cases there are out there. But with the incredibly infectious Omicron variant sweeping across the country, we can only assume it's a lot. But is our paranoia about catching COVID more to do with the environment we find ourselves in rather than our chances of actually getting it being quite high? Dr Rachel Murrahy is a clinical psychologist and director of the Kidman Centre, a department within the Faculty of Science at UTS dedicated to the understanding, prevention and reduction of mental health problems in young people aged 5 to 25. Dr Is us living in a state of constant COVID awareness for two years now, lending itself to us feeling more and more like we've had it or will get it? Yes, I think that's true for a lot of people. I mean, each time we have one of these waves come through and a spike in cases, this creates, you know, an air of uncertainty in the community, which leads to more anxiety. So anxiety is when our body has a rush of chemicals, the fight or flight response, which can manifest itself in a range of physical and cognitive symptoms. So one symptom of anxiety is hypervigilance. So hypervigilance is when our attention is narrowed to spot a threat really quickly. And this is called body scanning. So what happens is that when you're anxious, you can unknowingly be scanning your body for signs of danger. I saw a great Twitter post the other day where someone said, I don't know if I have a scratchy throat or whether I've swallowed to check so many times that now it's sore. 
So this is the problem with body scanning. We might notice symptoms that we might not have otherwise noticed. I do think that one of the positive things to have come out of COVID is that there is an understanding of the importance of emotional health. So the impact of our emotional health on our overall health. For many years, I've been saying health combines two things, physical health and emotional health. And I think COVID has really brought that to the fore and that everyone is much more aware of their emotional well-being and the factors that impact upon it. And I think that's only a good thing. You mentioned that we might be scanning, checking for symptoms more often, but can you actually talk yourself into having symptoms, like something might manifest just from us thinking too much about it? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, obviously you can't talk yourself into having COVID per se, but you can talk yourself into having anxiety symptoms, which are physical symptoms. So hypochondriasis is when we worry about having an illness that we don't have and we can be you know, convinced that we have it. So for example, people who worry about a heart attack, just that worry alone can bring on symptoms associated with a heart attack. So whilst it's not a real heart attack, The symptoms like heart palpitations, chest pain, those symptoms are real, but they are symptoms of anxiety rather than COVID. So the fact is that if you're telling yourself that you have an illness, it might not cause the illness itself, but it can cause anxious symptoms that are real for the person that aren't in their head. So symptoms of anxiety are headaches, migraines, tingling in the extremities, a foggy brain, upset stomach, sore back and sore neck. We have to always remember that the mind and the body are not two separate systems. They're interconnected. And if you worry about things, you're likely to have real physical symptoms as a result of that. When you were talking about, you know, individuals who worry about a health condition and might worry themselves into having something similar, we used to see that sort of on an individual level. But now this is like on a global scale. Like, are we having a big sort of collective mental health issue right now? I don't think we're having a universal mental health issue in terms of all people having diagnosable anxiety, but the research is showing us that distress rates across the community are much higher than they usually are, and that's obviously a concern. You know, they call this the great psychological experiment. No one knows what's going to happen with this. You know, we can look at pandemics in the past and what we can take from that is the most damaging aspects of a pandemic psychologically is time spent in lockdown. We know that lockdown is not great for our mental health. But like I said, it's a great psychological experiment. We don't know what's going to come out of this. We suspect that for most people, when this is all over, they'll bounce back. Humans are incredibly adaptive creatures. But there will also be the group who had pre-existing conditions like depression and anxiety before COVID. That's most likely they're going to struggle to bounce back. And then there's a third group that we don't know about. So they're the people who are perhaps on the threshold of developing an illness. And perhaps if life had have gone smoothly, they might not have developed any emotional problems. But then you add the additional stress of COVID and that may have pushed them over the threshold into a full-blown anxiety or depressive disorder. So the question in my mind is what will happen with this group and how they will fare into the future. And of course, we've also got the group with long COVID. So then you've got people who have got extended chronic problems who we know are likely to struggle into the future as well. You can actually find out if you've had COVID already. There are antibody tests that can be done on your blood that can determine whether you've been previously infected or not. Your GP can order it for you. But should you get it? 
what benefit would there be for you knowing you've had COVID already? Dr. Brad Mackay is a GP, author, science communicator and podcaster. Dr. Brad, what exactly does this test do? If you're sending off a blood test for COVID, then what we're looking for is to see if there are antibodies for the spike protein or what's also called a a nucleocapsid protein as well. So with a spike protein, you can have antibodies for that if you've had COVID or if you've had a vaccine because that's what we're using to arm your response. So if you've got a positive test for the nucleocapsid protein, then this is only held within the actual SARS-CoV-2 virus. So it's nothing to do with the vaccine at all. It's not part of it. It's just sort of like another protein that's contained within the virus. So if you're testing positive for that nucleocapsid, then that's showing that, yeah, you have in reality been exposed to COVID-19, but it's not going to be caused from the vaccine itself. So other than just finding out whether you've had COVID in the past, is there any other benefit to having that blood test? Yeah, well, even that's not going to give you peace of mind. So (laughs) with the test, we're not really advising for many people to get it. If people are wanting it, then they might need to see an infectious disease physician for it. But there's really not much need at the moment. So some people are concerned that maybe the sniffle that they had a couple of weeks ago could have been COVID. And they're like interested to know if they've been exposed to the virus or not, and if their body's recovered from it or not. But the test isn't perfect. And we are worried that this may give people false assurance as well. So if the test does come back positive, people could think, oh yeah, I've got over COVID so I can just live life as normal. But that's really not the case. The test doesn't actually show if you're immune to getting COVID in the future. It just sort of shows, oh, you may have had it in the past. What about the impact on the medical system right now? We hear stories about hospitals still being quite overwhelmed and very busy. And I imagine your GP practice is the same. But if you had a whole bunch of people coming in saying, I want this blood test, would that just not be good timing right now? Oh, it'd be horrendous. Yes. We don't want a lot of people coming in just for interest sake. We've got enough on our plate at the moment. And also if we're sending off other blood tests to the pathology lab, then yeah, they do prioritize some of the samples for infectious disease physicians who have specifically asked for it and need that result back urgently. But for everybody else, they will just sort of put on the shelf for a while and it's not going to be a priority. But yeah, we also don't want to waste a lot of resources. So it costs about $50 to $80 for each serology test, so blood test. And yeah, like if we're sending off millions of those, that's going to cost millions of dollars. And if we're not getting any benefit back for it for society, that's just money down the drain. Now, I imagine you've been seeing some patients, as you mentioned, who are really worried that they've had COVID, but they aren't sure, they maybe didn't get tested at the time. How do you help people through that if they haven't had chronic symptoms, they haven't ended up in hospital, they might have had a bit of a sniffle. But how do you get people through that constant sort of paranoia, did I have COVID, did I not have COVID? Generally, when I've had discussions with patients, they'll often say, oh, yes, I had like a negative rat test multiple times, but every other family member that I was living with all had COVID. They all tested positive. I had exactly the same symptoms as everybody else in the household, but my rat test was negative. And those people I'm there going, well, you probably had COVID despite the test. Let's just assume that you had COVID. During like the whole Christmas festive break, there weren't that many other viruses 
viruses heading around. And so we sort of think, oh, well, if it looks and smells and tastes like COVID, you probably had COVID. You don't need to do a blood test to sort of prove it or not. Let's just assume you had it and move on from there. Are there other viruses circulating at the moment? I know that we're being warned about the potential COVID and flu season coming up simultaneously, but are there other viruses really doing the rounds at the moment that we could potentially be catching and thinking we have COVID? There's all sorts of different viruses that are still out there, just in very low numbers. We've had very few cases of influenza around the country over the past couple of years. As the borders are opening up a little bit, we will expect to see a little bit more flu going around. The other one that's been surprising has been the RSV or respiratory syncytial virus. We often see this in kids every year, and that seems to be the predominant common cold virus that's caused quite a few kids to get a runny nose and a bit of a cough. Some kids end up in hospital with RSV as well. And as the school sort of like go back. We are expecting the RSV as well to sort of like keep on going around the traps. A whole lot of other common cold viruses too. But yeah, predominantly COVID was yeah phenomenally more than anything else over the past couple of months anyway. So other than taking up valuable resources with a test that can only tell you what you've had in the past, one that doesn't directly influence how you will act in the future... Is there a way we can stop this feeling that we need to constantly monitor ourselves for signs of COVID? Because in reality, that's what we've been asked to do pretty much every day since the start of 2020. So how do we turn that off when it's now so ingrained in our daily functioning? I think there's a number of things that have to happen here. I think it's the resumption of a normal lifestyle as much as possible. You know, and we can't do that overnight. I think we have to be gentle with ourselves and we have to know that everyone is affected. No one has not struggled with this. We've got to be gentle with ourselves and give ourselves time to heal and give ourselves time to adapt. And that means grading ourselves back into where we were before this all started. So, you know, slowly getting out there, you don't need to do overnight, just slowly getting out there and doing social activities, getting out there and doing exercise more, getting back to work. It's just slowly resuming the life that you had before. I've had a lot of conversations with people where, you know, particularly when you work from home, there's a great temptation once you've been withdrawn from people to stay in that sort of safe bubble, even though you might know that over time it's probably not the best for your mental health. So I think there's something about contracting our worlds into this smaller place that make it safe you know, it's comforting, but over time, it's not good for our mental health. So it's just setting small goals for ourselves in integrated fashion, getting back out there in the world. It's also the messages coming out from government that this is now something that we need to live with, much like the flu and the cold. We have to adjust our expectations and, you know, learn to live with that risk like we learn to live with many risks in life. That's the quickie for today. This episode was produced by myself, Claire Murphy, our executive producer, Siobhan Moran-McFarlane, with assistance from producer Callie Borg. Audio production by Ian Camilleri. And if there's a new story you'd like us to check out in a little more depth for you, here's how you find us. You can email us, thequickie at mamamia.com.au. You'll find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Mamma Mia Podcasts on TikTok.
Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.